Can you say marvels? Yeah. Say marvels. Marvels. Yeah. Can you say pull? Pull. List. Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel comics on sale October 20th, 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, we are deep into the Halloween season, and as we've done the last couple weeks, we've given the show a spoopy name. What are we calling it this week? Uh, You know, I think... Okay, okay. The Devil List... Okay, so it's sort of a combo. On the one side, we have the dev, Beelzebub. And the other side, we have pull list. So we have devil, devil. Welcome to the devil list, folks. Yeah, get ready to party with the (laughs) devil this episode. Actually, there's no Mephisto-ish action in this episode. (laughs) But uh, we have a good one. We are going to run you through all the brand new Marvel comics out this week. We'll give out our picks, give out some awards to all the books. We also have a fantastic reading club later in this episode. Who's our guest? This week, we're talking to burgeoning Marvel Comics superstar writer Cody Ziegler. You might know him from TV, comics, uh, so many podcasts across the board. Such a great conversation. And we dig in with Cody on Marvel Zombies. How perfect is that? It was really, really fun to to dig in with Cody Ziegler on all that. So it's a great one. Yeah. We were checking the Twitter machines recently, and we saw we got a question in from our pal Lance Presley, comma, but spooky, at GL Presley, who tweeted, is the Red Wolf in Taboo and Earl's Werewolf by Night the 616 original or from the Secret Wars crossover? And he used the hashtag Marvel's Pull List just like you can for us to potentially read your comments on the show as long as you mark them okay to read. So to answer Lance's question, it is uh, the Red Wolf from 1872, the uh, Secret Wars storyline. And he, uh, he he did some time travel and, and popped up in our Marvel Universe. And uh, he's a great character. Oh, yeah. It's those kind of questions that, that I love. And that's exactly why you come to the pull list right there. <laughs> that kind yeah. of clarification. If we can clarify anything, please... Let us help you. Hashtag Marvel's pull list. Let us know it's okay to read and we'll talk about it in the future. Uh, Before we dive into the books, Tucker, in your journey through Horror Movie Month, have you watched anything more? Yeah, I have. I went back in with our old pal Johnny C and just had a whale of a time. That's John Carpenter for anybody who's following (laughs) along. We're doing a full Michael Myers dive. It's been a lot of fun. We also watched An American Werewolf. Oh, hell yeah. Absolute face melter. The Rick Baker effects are incredible. There's an werewolf transformation scene that, from a visual and oral standpoint, is incredible. That's our horror movie moment, as uh, we we only have seven books to cover yep. this week, <laughs> uh, and a great reading club to get to you. So first up on our favorites, our picks this week, is Fantastic Four number 37. As soon as I finished this issue, I texted Dan Slott to tell him how much I loved it. And it's so good. And it's partially because this issue heavily 
ties into family and adopted family and found family and all kinds of stuff like that and in conversations and, and feelings and relationships because Ben Grimm and Alicia Grimm, they've adopted these two children, these uh, amazing kids. One's a Skrull, one is a uh, Cree, Joven and Nikki, and they're just, they're adorable, but they, they've been through a lot of trauma and they, they were basically like forced to fight each other and forced to fight and their children. And, you know, they've been embraced and given a home and given love and, and sort of like, they are loved, they are safe. And this is a story about how like that trauma has carried over and they're dealing with it. And this story of adoption is one obviously that hits really close to home for me, my little Catherine Grace. There's nothing traumatic about her life so far, but, you know, we don't get a lot of great stories about adopted families and relationships, but this one is so sweet and so wonderful, like almost brought me to tears at times. And it is, uh, it's written by Dan Slott, art by Nico Leone, with colors by Dono Sanchez Armara, with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. That beautiful story is, of course, a main part of it, but it's also set during Halloween, so we're already fully on board. There's a trick-or-treat sequence, which is just wonderful and really funny. I don't know. This, to me, is one of the like the best of Dan Slott's Fantastic Four issues. And we've had great ones. We've had really, really spectacular issues. But there's so much going on here. Nico Leone comes in, like, picking up the baton from what R.B. Silva has been doing and the rest of the amazing artists and just doing spectacular work, especially facial expressions, the way that Joven and Nikki, like, as little children, their enthusiasm, their sadness, their, like, snark, all those beats... I can't stress enough how much I love this. If you are not reading this FF run, you can just pick this up, get a sense of where everyone is and why. Oh, and the, there's a Reed Richards moment in here where like, I was like, oh, I want to give Reed Richards a hug. <laughs> and we know that Ryan doesn't say that lightly. When would I ever want to give Reed Richards a hug? Man, I, I absolutely adore, adore, adore this issue. Awesome. I uh, love it. So good. And now we're jumping over to my pick this week, which comes in the form of Thor number 18. I was really taken by surprise by this issue because I think if you know comics, especially in recent years, you've absolutely heard the name Donny Cates. The spirit, the tone of a Donny Cates book is something that is like purpose built for me as a reader. I think I could say the same thing about Ben Percy. I could say the same thing about Kelly Thompson. They could write anything and I will read it. With that being said, Thor number 18 is everything you expect from a Donny Cates comic. It's huge in scale. It has this beautiful grand tone to it. The deep, intense logic conversations really, really in the weeds with these characters right standing alongside of them. There's an amazing example of that is the opening scene between Thor and Loki here, which is so good. It's two brothers sitting across a table, two kings having a conversation and everything both of them says is right. And everything both of them says makes perfect sense. And yet they're having an argument. They're having a discussion about the right way to do something. Obviously, Thor is going through his own journey right now when it comes to the mystical mallet named Mjolnir. And where we go from there, though, is into a book that is as delightful, as giddy, as happy, as fun, 
as anything that you'll read. And I dare uh, anybody who feels like they have a great grasp of what a Donny Cates book reads like to pick this one up and find yourself simultaneously surprised and not surprised at all, because we know Donny can do it all and we can see it here wonderfully. A lot of that comes in the form of Throg in this issue. That's no surprise. Throg is on the cover of this one. I never thought I could get like spine-tingling excitement from a frog holding a tiny hammer. You just don't think that that's possible. And yet it is. There's so much fun stuff in here. It is so just crazy fun. It made this like an obvious pick for me this week. I'll close things out by saying, of course, obviously it's written by Donnie. And the guest art on here is by Pasquale Ferry and Bob Quinn with colors by uh, Mr. Matt Wilson and letters and designed by VCs Joe Sabino. So I raise a mug to all of those folks because what an issue. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap up our three picks with... Phoenix Song Echo Number One, written by Rebecca Roanhorse, with art by Luca Maresca and colors by Carlos Lopez, letters by VCs Ariana Mar. If you've read the Avengers run recently by Jason Aaron and Javier Garon, where the uh, the Phoenix came back and it was it was a, you know seeing who will wield the Phoenix power, you will get a bit more out of this story. But if you have not and you're just jumping into this, it does set up everything. So. There's a lot of cool backstory, great battles, big moments in Avengers that'll make this even cooler. But if you are just coming in because you want to check out a, a really rad story with a character you may not know a ton about, that being Echo, jump right in. Echo, she first appeared in some Daredevil comics, gosh, almost 20 years ago, roundabouts almost. She is deaf and she's a, a character who's had to deal with a lot of crap and bad stuff, and she was put against Daredevil. There are some really beautiful pages where Maya Lopez is is first sort of introduced in Daredevil number nine. She's playing the piano. There's a whole sequence around her and, and her story in that first arc that is just breathtaking. Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti doing the art there is something special. You can check that out on Marvel Unlimited. But over time, she's been with the Avengers. She's worn the Ronin costume. She's done a whole bunch of stuff in and around the sort of street level and and various parts of the Marvel Universe. And so in recent, you know, in the recent past couple months, she's popped back up. She's got the power of the Phoenix now. And this story by Rebecca Roanhorse, who's doing really cool stuff here, is about figuring out what does she do with this power? How does she control it? How does she be, remain who she is, what she believes in, and um, what she stands for while still having the power to destroy planets? This sees her like losing control, coming up against various characters. You get Forge showing up in here. I love me some Forge. We get some beautiful art by Luca Maresca here. Really like the feeling of power and of uh, the fury of the Phoenix comes across very, very well, but also the humanity of Maya Lopez. And, and there's a moment where she's like sitting on the moon because she has the power of the Phoenix and she's just sitting on the moon contemplating what to do. There's a beautiful panel of her just looking up. It's really wonderful stuff. There's a, a big journey in here. It'll tie into Maya Lopez's Native American heritage and the legacy of the women who in her family have come before her, which I think is something really cool. I can't wait to explore that more as we go along. It's just a, a dynamite first issue. I really, really dug it. Absolutely. Really excellent stuff. Now we're jumping over from our picks to all the new Marvel comics, and there are basically an equal amount 
of uh, these this week. I have a challenge for you, Ryan. Yes. With each of these fresh floppies that we're going to cover, instead of giving it a certain award or something, I want to name each one like in the spirit of something that we're scared of. So I'm going to kick things off here. You'll see what I mean. I'm going to kick things off with the death of Doctor Strange number two. And by saying I am super scared of sharks, the death of Doctor Strange, it's sort of a perfect Jed McKay premise, who's the writer here, because this is exactly the kind of book I want to see him take on. We've seen the fact that Jed can write basically anything, but I think his signature is something that is... Um, the more kind of thriller, adventure, fast-paced, spy kind of story, a la Daughters of the Dragon, Black Cat, even his Taskmaster story, you know, they all kind of fall perfectly into that category. But what's really interesting here is to see Jed McKay taking on a mystery. I think it allows Jed the opportunity to dive into character in new ways, dive into those quieter moments, not to say that this issue doesn't have some really great action, which it does. I don't want to spoil too much about how it arrives, but the Sorcerer Supreme has died and there's a contingency plan. There's something that if you read issue number one, which I would absolutely recommend, that occurred that, you know, the most masterful mystic around might have in his back pocket just in case everything goes wrong, which it did. The fallout of that, and then who arrives as a follow-up to all of that, both good and evil, is very, very interesting. It's really fascinating. And you feel like you're right on the tail of a great mystery thriller. And I think it's just excellent. All right, next book is Star Wars, The High Republic, number 10. And uh, I am going to give this one my fear of bugs. But oh. I've worked really hard on my my fear of, of creepy crawly stuff, insects and bugs and all that. Most spiders, I just sort of like either put somewhere else or, you know, let them have their, their space. I'm really good. It's gotten a lot better. Wow. Uh, anyway, over in the Star Wars of it all, the twins, Keeve and, and Tarek, uh, they've been going through a lot of gnarly stuff over the last couple of issues. And now they're just rolling deep with the Nile, which is not just a river. It is a bad group in the Star Wars universe. So the N-I-H-I-L, the Nile, you'll have to check this one out. Beautiful cover by Phil Noto for this issue. Love it. Now we move on to uh, my second book I'm covering, and I will hand it my fear of a little something I like to call helicopters. Keep me the hell away from helicopters forever. Anyway, I'm taking a helicopter ride in the mind to the United States of Captain America number five which is the conclusion of this U.S. of Cap story. This is a topic in a book that really means a lot to writer Christopher Cantwell. The story covers so much ground in terms of the Marvel Universe, as well as certain things inspired by real-world events. I would encourage listeners and readers of this book to go check out this really powerful and poignant interview that Christopher Cantwell did with Marvel.com about Captain Jeremy Merrick, 
who is a member of the Captain's Network and that we get to see featured in here. Go check that out. You'll see what I mean when you dig into it. It's really, really great stuff. This book, I hope, has become the origin point for a bunch of characters that we start to see more and more and more around the Marvel Universe because there's some great stuff in here with really, really uniquely defined perspectives and also just visually some great costumes in here that I really love. Aside from all of that, it's also a great Steve Rogers story. It's all packed in here. It's all culminates, I think, really wonderfully. And uh, yeah, this is a totally worthy look at Captain America. You know, it's a big thing to come into after ta Coates' run on the Captain America title for several years to come in and be the book with those two words on the cover in the immediate aftermath of that is a big thing to do. And this is a really different take on that. And I thought it was really great. Yeah. Fantastic moments throughout that. My last bit of fear to share with everyone uh, here is the fear of something uh, happening to my wife or child, which is something that gnaws at me every second of every day, every moment. Uh, it's just something you live with when you you have people you care about. And so, yeah, I fear that something goes wrong oh, God. all the time. Oh, God. So, yeah. Don't let that bother you. That's just the way you, one lives their life. Of course. At this point in, in, their, in yeah. their life. Yeah. With that in mind, uh, we're going to talk about X-Men, uh, The Trial of Magneto, number three, which is a real weird issue. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. There's some revelations. There's some big questions that are popped. We've got a Scarlet Witch back. What does that mean? I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but there's a really great moment in the previous issue. Magneto had made some threats and, and said some ill words to Kyle, who is North Star's husband. And in this, there's an amazing panel or two pages in here where North Star comes flying in so fast and just beats the hell out of Magneto. It just so fast, Mags can't even do anything. And the final panel of this page has North Star brushing his shoulder off and saying, threaten my husband again, and I'll show you the extent of how much I've improved. And it's just like, yeah, you do not mess with my family. That sort of ties it all together, if you get what I'm, I'm going for. But uh, yeah, it's a wild issue. There's kaiju in here. There's a sort of like space where characters exist. And you're like, okay, give me the next issue right freaking now. Excellent stuff. And now we're jumping from new comics over to new Infinity Comics. Check it out on the Marvel Unlimited app. A bunch of good stuff. We have X-Men Unlimited uh, number eight, Venom Carnage, Ghost Rider, Deadpool, and the international sensation, It's Jeff. Now that we're like getting deeper into these Infinity Comics, I am so happy that these exist um, because you can get something like a Deadpool by Jerry Duggan. You can get something like an It's Jeff, but you can also get something like Venom Carnage. It's it's a great, very mutable, like sort of new medium and way to explore these things. It's wonderful. Heck yeah. Also on Marvel Unlimited, we've got Aliens Aftermath number one, which was really dang good. Final issue of Carnage Black, White and Blood, plus some X books, including Way of X number four, which rules that book uh, definitely check that out on marvel unlimited all right tucker as we dive into this devil list episode of the show let's go to our reading club who's our guest once again 
Once again, we are chatting with the great Cody Ziegler of Beyond Board fame. That's right. If you're picking up the new issues of Amazing Spider-Man Beyond, you will be familiar with Cody now. Get to know him a little bit better as we chat about Marvel Zombies. That's Marvel Zombies from the 2005 original head chomping, neck biting, leg tearing off. Just absolutely (laughs) perfect Halloween read. Let's go do that right now with Cody Ziegler. Tucker, get your head out of your behind <laughs> and and get excited because we have writer Cody Ziegler on the podcast today. Cody, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Everything's coming up, Cody. Couldn't be happier <laughs> to have you here. Cody, I'm I'm really, really pumped to talk to you. I kind of don't even know where to begin. I'll, I'll just start with the big question here on the poll list, which is, when did it all start for you when it comes to comics, when it comes to nerdy stuff in general? Were you growing up reading comics every week? How did that go? You know, I, I have to give a shout out to my dad for starting me down this path of darkness. When I was a kid, like my dad was a huge comic book nerd. And like, I remember he specifically took me to Comic Con in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I was like five or six. Like I remember walking around and like he was really stoked and like I didn't know any what was really happening outside like the big guys like I know Batman I know Spider Man like I sort of knew the Hulk and like he got me two comics that day he got me a Jurassic Park like tie in comic because I love dinosaurs because every kid does and he also got me for some reason Spawn number three which is like this complete opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum and like I remember reading that and be like oh this is so cool there was like an art promo page I think by like Frank Whiteley is I think how I pronounce his name I was so blown away by like how much detail he packed into like this black and white sketch and i was like oh this is what i'm into and like i never read stuff weekly to be like if we're at the grocery store like there's like a, a superman comic or like oh that's daredevil like i'll read that but like it wasn't until my late teens early 20s i was delivering food for this chinese restaurant and like literally right next door is a comic book shop so like when i'd get my tips i'd come back and i'd be like hey what's this world war hulk yeah sure i'll read that or like preacher yeah let's let's see what this is all about and like that's really what got me into it. And like, once I discovered the ultimate universe, I was like, oh, this is game over because, you know, as someone who wasn't really familiar with like comics in general, like coming in and being like, oh, there's like so much backstory. And my kids was like, I don't know about, and like I would be on the Wikipedia pages, like looking up characters with like, you know, the ultimates was like, oh, here's a uh, Peter Parker uh, from the very jump. And you can just like ride with him or like, here's the fantastic four or here's, you know, whatever they were doing. Like I like the ultimates as well. Like that was my first introduction to being like, oh, like they got some edge. I was like, oh, it's like Captain America is like sort of cool. Like he's weird. A little problematic now, but like reading it down, I was like, oh, he's not just a guy that's like all about the USA. I was like, that's what really got me into it. Like once I started getting into like that line, I was just like full-fledged deep dive head first into like comic books in general. I mean, that's that's not the worst way to go. It's, uh, <laughs> there's some good stuff in there. Uh, Tucker and I started talking about having you on the show, maybe before we even saw you starting to do Marvel stuff, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just because we became fans. How'd you start getting linked up with the Marvel comic side of things as you, you know, you've been writing? Yeah. So I, I got it from the TV side. Like I wrote for She-Hulk upcoming Disney plus shout out. Um, so that show was ran by uh, Jessica Gao, she's fantastic. She's great, really funny, fantastic writer, very funny, uh, great boss. She wrote 
if you're a fan of Rick and Morty, she wrote the Pickle Rick episodes. Like that's who she is. Like very, very funny. She is Pickle Rick. Yeah, she is Pickle <laughs> Rick, the curator. Of, she's the Stanley of Pickle Rick in many ways. You know? <laughs> but her number two in the room was everyone's favorite sweetheart, Zeb Wells, who has been writing comics for a while. And our two roles in the room, like the two comic book nerds. So basically whenever they needed a character or like they needed to discuss like how our superpower would work, like we were the ones that were like literally sometimes pulling out comic books from our backpack being like, this is how the character works and this is how we should do it. Uh, I think he saw a, a kindred spirit in that. And uh, from that, he recommended me to editor Nick Lowe. And uh, he was like, hey, um, at the time, I was like, I'm doing a Spider-Man anthology. Like, would you like to do one? I was like, yeah, can I pick the Spider-Man? He's like, great. I was like, let me do Miles Morales. Because obviously, like, he's my favorite. Like, I remember today as we're recording this, his um, 10-year anniversary issue came out. And like, I remember 10 years ago, I was in film school. I remember like me and my roommate, we saw like the article like, being like, there's a black Spider-Man. Like, I remember we rushed to the comic book shop to get it. So like, you know, flash forwarding 10 years and being like, I get to have a short and his story was kind of crazy. But yeah, he got me a backup in like number 25, just a 10 pager. And, you know, from that, I got a one shot Siege Society number one. And, you know, at the same time, Zeb was like, hey, I'm going to be taking over Amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, we work in the room together. Like, I know your sense of humor. Um, I, I kind of want to run this, these four sort of early issues as like, so I had like a writer's room. So like he tapped me for that and the snowball just been rolling and rolling and getting bigger and bigger since then. So like, I've been very lucky that I had great people that would go to bat for me and, and I've had some really great experiences, like just the comics I've been working for or the comics that I've always wanted to be working for. So like, uh, I've been very, very lucky and very privileged to be where I'm at right now. I mean, come on. I feel like people <laughs> are like gobsmacked just listening to that story. It's like, you're like the Orson Welles of like oh. <laughs> the Marvel world coming in. At such a high level, at such like an early time, and it's completely earned, despite the fact that you're only a few issues into your Marvel tenure and you're on the team for ASM, and that's incredible. Very surreal. I loved that backup story in Miles 25. Oh, thank you. I thought man. it was like a great, great entry. Was that before Amazing Spider-Man Beyond was announced? Yeah. Yeah. So I knew that you were going to be on that team, but the public didn't know yet. I want to shelve all that for a second because I have a, a million questions regarding all of those things. But today we're talking about Marvel Zombies. Mm -hmm. Of all the stuff, and I think you're clearly somebody who really knows his stuff, why Marvel Zombies? Well, at the time, as I was just getting into comic books, like I was getting a lot of solicitations from websites and like I would just pick and choose stuff that I thought looked cool. Like it's complete reptile brain. Like your kid, you're walking <laughs> through the aisle and you see like, oh, that's a cool cover. I want to get that. I was also reading The Walking Dead at the time. And I was like, I love zombies. Like I love comic books. I love Marvel stuff. And I saw that there was a solicit for like Marvel zombies. I was like, oh, cool. And also like the cover art was just fantastic. Like that really drew me in. Like I think the first one I saw was The Human Torch, like zombie melting through like the side of a wall and i was like oh i want to read this and i loved it and i also as i was reading i was like oh robert kirkman wrote this like that's funny i just i'm like reading walking dead at the same time so like i love big weird stuff i also love like the cosmic side of marvel and like towards the second half of that story like it goes cosmic in a fun interesting way that turns it on its head and also like i i went and just bought the big like compendium like the collection so like i didn't even do the issue to issue like i just spent like the 30 bucks and bought that and i was like this is exactly one of the huge beautiful color like big ass book and reading through it i was like this is the fun that like i didn't know that superhero comics could have because i was just so new to it like the only other marvel thing i had read at that time was like world war hulk like he's just mad he's going through and working through every single hero and villain on earth signed me up so like those are like my two real big interests into like 616 or i guess that's not 616 the zombies but like my introduction to like you know marvel proper so like 
I was like, this is exactly what I want. Like, I didn't know you could have that sort of freedom when it came to comic books. And it's just been like guiding me down the path ever since. Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm glad you bring up 616 in this conversation because Marvel Zombies is banana. (laughs) Uh, And it is not 616, but even to think about it. And so if we have any listeners who don't know that the 616, what it means, it's the designation for the prime Marvel universe. But there is so much that like takes place before Marvel Zombies number one in terms of the the canonical story. We're going to focus on Marvel Zombies number one. But if anybody out there wants to go and like get elbows deep in this entire zombie story, there's some weird places to go to. <laughs> you would start with Marvel Zombies versus the Army of Darkness. Yes. And then there's a Marvel Zombies Dead Days story, which is sort of a prequel to the other prequel set in between the third prequel. So you have the Marvel Zombies versus Army of Darkness, Marvel Zombies Dead Days, and then the three issues of Ultimate Fantastic Four, which actually Mm -hmm. kicked off this entire thing. The Ultimate Fantastic Four issues, I think, were the first thing that came out, if I remember correctly, from Mm -hmm. a publishing standpoint. It was this whole thing because back then we were talking about how the Marvel Prime Universe and the Ultimate Universe will never come together. <laughs> we were like really adamant about it, just like we're adamant about the death of a character. And so we had this story in these great covers where it was like, oh my God, Reed's going to meet Reed. It's this whole thing. And then it twists and turns and it's yeah. the Ultimate Universe meets the zombie universe. That sets up the Marvel zombie story. But there's also the Army of Darkness stuff in the Dead Days. Cody, have you gone and, and checked out these other stories? Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, I was fresh into comics. Like, I didn't know what crossover events were or time in comics works. So anytime I saw Marvel zombies, I was just buying stuff up. But, like, I love that because I'm also a huge Army of Darkness fan and Evil Dead fan. So, like, I love that. And I'm also a low-key century truther, a century apologist. So, like, anytime he gets any type of love in comics, even if it's kickstarting off a giant zombie virus that wipes out the galaxy, I'll, I'll still support him. So, like, just seeing him in there was fun as well. But, like, yeah, those books were so bonkers and so weird that I was like, oh, this is what comic book is. Like, this is – you really have a blank check to do whatever you want to. And, like, if you want to pick and choose and pluck in and have, like, oh, here's Howard the Duck. He's also a zombie, and he's going to fight Next Wave, who also are zombies. And we're going to have – Tony Stark get ripped in half and he's just going to use his power suit to fly around when he eats giant zombie Galactus. I was like, yeah, this is all that I want. This is all that I could ever possibly ask for when it comes to like big weird comics. That's so perfect. Is that the kind of book or just like type of story in general that you find yourself usually drawn to? Do you feel like the Marvel Zombies cover catching your eye for that specific reason is emblematic of like a bigger taste for you? Or is that just like one of many? I think so. That's all I was like, 1920s like i was really into like i mean i loved exploitation films i love like schlock stuff i love bihar all that thing so like i was like really at my peak like finding all that stuff like bad taste and there's a website called badmovies.org and i would always go there because i'd have like new reviews and stuff so like that was just in the forefront of my brain it's like that's exactly what i loved like i loved when you mix genres with other genres and i still love that now it drew me in because like i was a big fan of like zombies and journals so seeing that crossed over with like you know, superheroes, like just a weird take for me. And like, yeah, like you throw a zombie into the mix on the white, just entry makes it more interesting to me. It makes it so much more fun. Like one of my favorite endings to Army of Darkness was like, he goes, Ash ends up in like a Marvel werewolves where it's just the exact same thing. Only everyone's werewolves. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, I would read 100 issues of this Marvel ghost. I'll take whatever weird <laughs> curveball you can throw me that, that mixes these genres together. Where's your stands on Marvel apes? Uh, you know what? I actually, I, I liked Marvel Apes too. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. You know, I'm easy to please. I, I love a weird thing. Like, I'm also a Hitmonkey stan, so maybe that's where it's coming from. Well, Hitmonkey's pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
we should dig into a little bit of the creative team here. You mentioned Robert Kirkman, Marvel Zombies 1 through 5. This came out, started at the tail end of 2005 and then rolled into 2006. It was written by Robert Kirkman, art by Sean Phillips, colors by Jun Chung, letters by VCs Randy Gentile. It was edited by Nicole Boos, who was a great editor, my pal John Barber, and Ralph Macchio, who we've had on the show before. Ralph, is there anything he hasn't touched? I honestly don't know. But I also want to point out John Barber, I think he's currently the editor-in-chief of IDW, which is really cool. And he's he did a lot of stuff for Transformers, which I'm a big fan of. And he's just a great dude. It's always good to see like cool people who are on the editorial side of these stories. But I wanted to hone in on Sean Phillips. Because if I were casting a book and there it was like zombies. Sean Phillips is such a weird choice because I think <laughs> of his collaborations with Ed Brubaker and he does such great like crime and gritty and cool stuff. But at the same time, he's such a perfect choice for this book because he can do gross. So, well, this series is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I reread it last night and like, I completely forgot that there was a runner where whenever the whole trope back down to Bruce Banner, his body can't contain all the food that he ate. So like there's parts where like leg bones are like puncturing through his stomach and stuff. And like people are getting their eyeballs ripped off left and white. Like Peter Parker gets his leg broken. He just like ends up ripping it off like four issues in. I was like, this isn't so gnarly. I can't believe they put this out. This is wild. Yeah. That was like the recurring thought that I had. I, like it's just great to me. It just feels like a very, Robert Kirkman move to Mm -hmm. open it up with the Magneto sort of sequence. And then he just loses. He just gets eaten. He just (laughs) like his gets his leg ripped off and then he just gets torn to shreds. It's such a good like signpost for, you know, what's to come with the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. Like this is actually dark and genuinely disturbing. Yeah. There's no dignity in their deaths. Like it comes fast out of nowhere and like, it's not going to be an easy, peaceful death. He's not going to go quietly in his sleep. You know, he's going to get his leg ripped off by, you know, zombie Thor. Yeah. There's a 16 panel page after like the big battle of Magneto and the heroes they've been fighting and Magneto gets caught by wasp because of course, and she bites his neck and then he's just overpowered. And then, then you flip and it's a 16 panel page of just nightmarish, disgusting. <laughs> you can almost hear yeah. like, tom, 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 yeah. like nasty sounds as they devour him. I can't believe we made this. I love yeah, that yeah. this exists. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, holy moly, that's bananas. Yeah. First issue. Like, this is the first yeah. thing that you're reading. Yeah. You know? It's nuts. And then like afterwards, they're all like, oh, I'm so full. And they're like rubbing their bellies. Yeah. And it's the cool aspect, I think, is that like when the hunger strikes, the zombies sort of like get more feral as they go on. Once they've eaten, they sort of almost revert back to something close to who they were. And so there's regret, there's all this drama, there's the gravitas of that, the conversations of like, you know, even Spider-Man is like, will you listen to me? Dear God, what have we become? (laughs) And it's just, it's funny, but it's not funny at the same time. And I think it it skirts that line really well. Yeah, there's some nice pathos to it where uh, especially, I mean, Peter Parker is the one that has the most where he's constantly talking about how much regrets having to eat his, his wife and MJ and Aunt May and like even Hank Pym, I mean, he's a little bit more selfish in this one, but like even in, he talks about how much he regrets having to like, I guess he's accepted like his fate. He's like, hey, I'm sorry that I have to keep my friend 
T'Challa here and, and nibble on his elbow every now and then, but like it's for the greater good. We had your X-ray Vision podcast compatriot Jason Concepcion on the show. Oh my boy, yeah. We talked to him about ecstatics and being a listener of the pod. You guys have been talking about what if lately. I don't know if there could be two different series uh, for like reading clubs here between Marvel Zombies and Ecstatics. But we kicked this whole conversation off with like a mention of the 616 and, you know, the idea of for you, the, the Ultimates universe. Is it that like across, you know, dimensions, Marvel multiverse element of it that like is really fun as a reader? And then in a broader sense, is that something that you enjoy as a writer? Yeah. So start with the first part. Yeah, I I came in with Ultimate. So a lot of that, we know, is like, this is self-contained. Like, you know, like Ryan was saying, like, we're never going to cross over with like 616. So like already, like the universe is just smaller because like they'll go like parallel dimensions, but like they're not really diving in deep to like the big stuff. So like, that's how I came into it. It's like when like I would see that you get like the Fantastic Four is going to go into like the negative zone or whatever, or the Nihilist wave or whatever, and like the other places like, oh, that was great. So like when you would have like time travel stories or see like doppelganger stories like that, be immediately interesting. So like then like I got older and I got more like the 616 being like, this is a universe where everyone's stuck in 1776. This is a universe where like there's two different Squadron Supreme. This one is like the Marvel Max Squadron Supreme and like they're a little bit more more on edge but like also there's Howard the Duck universe where they do these things like all that just blew it. You had so much freedom to, to tell stories and like that's what really interested me and even now like I love parallel universe stuff like I, I've been a really big fan of the Marvel What If animated series. This is a long walk for me to say like I like when you start small and like you put like your foundation like you lay your storytelling foundation and then once you have the goodwill like you can like start making those big fun wild cosmic comic book strings which is like what I want to see now like that sparks a lot of joy in me and and i would love to like write those sort of stories yeah speaking of the cosmic side of things the silver surfer might be my favorite marvel character and that is such a great moment at the end of the first issue when the surfer shows up i think it's just so good it's really efficient and it's more efficient than you even realize as you're reading it because when you reach that moment you suddenly realize how you already sort of understand the rules of this story of what's going on in this universe. Because when he shows up, they're sort of instantly upended and you're like, oh, right. How does this work? How is he vulnerable? How does this work? And then the like wonderful irony of like the Galactus side of things being the devourer of the devourers and that coming up, it's so good. And yeah, I guess it just sort of speaks to that organic build where it just becomes like in a very natural progression way, this bigger and bigger story. Or, and in this case, a literal kind of cosmic element to it as well. Yeah. I mean, it's also just a quintessential nice like rug pull when you're like, you're so buried in like, this is the stakes. Like this is as big as the problems can be. This is how big the world is. And then like that one entity comes in and you're like, you guys don't understand. You're just a dust on the back of a flea and, and the greater schemes are thing. Like my, my boss is coming through and he's been hungry. So like he's about to munch <laughs> down on you guys. And like the silver surfer, like you're saying is like a perfect character to be like, like, I think there are two characters. There's like Uatu when you're like, yo, you think things are bad. Let me tell you how things are really, it's so much worse. And like whenever silver surfer show up, it's so, like, that was like a, a perfect build to be like all right this is a story is not just like them eating people like it's going to get a lot bigger and a lot weirder and like think you get a strap in because things are about to get really really dark yeah that moment the way that sean phillips again comes in and like draws silver surfer in this like pristine beautiful he's not like shiny shiny but he looks 
so alien to the grays and the greens and the browns of everything. And he's quiet and he's just floating around and like all the zombies are like, what's that? Lunch. <laughs> and they're like, ah, like freaking out. It's a really great couple of, I think it's like two or three issues where they're, they're like following that thread. And then it's just so nasty again. Yeah. Well, he has a really great splash where like, you see him on the board, like being stoic and spacey, but like, like you're seeing, like you see like the gross, like greens and browns reflected in like his silver pristine form. And like, he really does stick out. I mean, I guess he really is like a messenger from God, but he, he has like an angelic quality to him, like trapped in like this weird, dark prison <laughs> of zombies yeah. on, that are left on earth. I've heard people joke about the silver surfer, like hang 10 silver surfer, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> but I, I don't know how, how many, like I definitely haven't heard as much the idea of just like Galactus is just Silver Surfer's boss. Like, yeah. just gonna, like, hey, my boss is coming. So yeah. Hey, look, we're about to do some reviews. Like it's, it's about to be, you know, I'm about to get my quarterly review. And like I hate to do this, but like he really gets really cranky during lunch. So he needs a nibble on your north and south pole for a little bit, and it'll be fine. Then speaking of that, speaking of the like the the raw visuals and the 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 pure visual power, I think like there's that one full page that is of the surfer and there's no dialogue at all, I think. Yeah. On it. Mm-hmm. And that sort of speaks to like the power of that moment in the progression of your career as a writer. Was there a moment where you went, Oh, I see things visually. Like I communicate visually yeah. and that's why I feel drawn to writing for screen. That's why I feel drawn to writing comics and things like that in that same way. Now, like, do you stay pretty detailed in, in, in that way in your scripts for, for comics and stuff? Yeah. Um, so I came in from a directing background. So like I look at the process with like working with an artist as like a director or cinematographer, or, you know, DP, like that's how I always look like it's always a collaborative effort. Like, you know, instead of building a shot list or building a shot list for comics, like that's sort of the one-to-one that I have. Um, I'm also super collaborative. Like I've always loved the collaborative process. I've never been like, this is the way that it has to be, you know, I'm, I like to give like they're they're more guardrails and not necessarily strict like this isn't how things would be. So like a lot of my process is like, you know, I think it's probably pretty general like a lot of other comic writers that like, you know, I'll give a simple flavoring like page one, four panels, this, this, and this. Sometimes like I think because I come from TV, I'll add a little bit of like just like flavoring as far as like big dad on vacation energy, like just stuff like that, like just make it like little fun descriptors. I like, give a little bit of character, like it's fun to read and then necessarily might initially make it to the page, but like, that's part of how I like to write TV scripts because again, like you're reading it in a room with like 12 of the people. So like you want them to have fun while they're reading it. But like, I just love the collaborative effort. So like, I'll just say like Paco Medina, like who I did teach society with, like he's such a, not only a talented artist, but such a fun guy to like talk to. Like, you know, I get emails at like 2 a.m. You're like, hey brother, uh, I got this page five. Uh, what do you think of uh, the of Hawkeye? It looks really cool, right? It's like, yeah, this looks great Paco. He's like, any notes? I was like, no, man, you, you do what you want to do. Like you're the expert here. Like I'll give thoughts when I need to see them. So like that's been my process with every artist. Like a lot of exclamation points, a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of like, yeah, we're doing this together. Like most of my notes come from like the comedic aspect of it things because like I come from comedy, like that's what most of my stuff do. So if I can get someone to add a funny face or like get someone to add like a weird reaction to a character in the background, that's usually where I come in when it comes to like the notes process. But like my whole thesis when it comes to collaborative efforts, not only in in comic books or, or television or directing, whatever, is like a rising tide lifts all ships. So like they trust me to like write a good story and I trust them to like draw fantastic art that will capture great acting and capture that storytelling. And like at the end of the day, like it's always going to be better if we're coming into this with the exact same thought process or at least willing to like come together and know that we're going to make a better piece of art at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. 
I got to say, your meetings with Nick Lowe must be the most delightful <laughs> things in the world. <laughs> yes. It's a lot of like us yelling about how, whatever comic we love at that particular moment. Uh, I mean, like I, anytime I can have, like you can see, like I love to spin yarn. I love to talk. I'm from the South. So, like I make friends pretty easily. So like, anytime I can find someone else who loves to gab, like it's, it's game over. Where are you from in the South? I'm from uh, North Carolina, a really small town called Walnut Cove, like 20 minutes from the border of, of Virginia. So like a lot of free time to like read comic books and watch anime and, and stuff when I was a kid and play video games. Nice. Oh, all right. Favorite video games. Oh, poof, poof. okay. <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy seven. Like that's the, the, the OG that held me down a lot when I was, when I was younger, but uh, for us recently, like breath of the wild is great. Like just a fun adventure game. Like I love Miyazaki and that's like a Miyazaki film turned into a video game. Uh, but when it comes to like just storytelling and acting and just like, makes me feel like I was actually playing a film was like the last of us Two. Like I love that game. It's the only game I played where like I've cried multiple times while playing it. And like, this is the also the only game where, you know, the, the theme of the game is like violence is cyclical and like, does violence really justify the means? The answer is probably no. That's the only game I played where like, I felt bad for like killing the enemy, like for like, like fighting back. And like, I would always try to like sneak by and stuff. And if you got, you know, and this sounds like a crazy sentence, but if you have 20 hours to spare, I highly recommend Last of Us 2. It's a, it is one of my favorite games I've, I've, I've played. You you mentioned it. You're a director. You have a huge amount of experience with that kind of creativity. Do you have favorite directors? You have favorite you have favorite movies, like favorite genres? You mentioned your your love for kind of the schlocky stuff. You know, I mean, what, this is going to go. This is not a, a big surprise, but Shaun of the Dead is my absolute favorite movie of all time. It's what I watched that got me into directing. Like, oh, I want to try to do this. Like, I loved Edgar Wright. I also love what Taika, Taika's been doing. I love that he gets to go from, like, his big tentpole stuff, like his weird indie stuff. Like, he can go from Rico versus Shark to Thor Ragnarok. He can also do what we do in the shadows. Like, I love all that stuff. Um, I also love the, like I said, the blending of the genres. Like, Shaun of the Dead is such a well-written movie. The first half is just, like, a reflection of the second half, and I love that. It's got zombies. Like, I love that it's a rom-com with zombies in it and also, like, a little bit of, like, a road trip movie. Like, it's great. And also, it's just, like, visually, it's just, like, a, like the the pacing and the editing and the, and the shot design is just, is it, it'll break your neck. Like, it's so good. And I think that's also why I think Scott Pilgrim Rest of the World, for me, is, like, one of my top, just, like, visually, if you want to, like, break down, like, how to edit and shoot a movie and make it feel kinetic, almost to a point where it's debilitating, but in a good way. Uh, like that to me is like the like apex of like comic book directing to capture the energy of like turning the page or like, you know, you know, sometimes when like you're reading panels, like you, you in the corner of your eye, you can see something big's about to happen, like panel four. So like, you're just like rushing through the pretext just to get to that last one. Like that one really captured that energy for me. Thinking about your multiple disciplines, think about some of the things that you love and, you know, the stuff that you've already talked about. Are there times where you just like need creative juice. You know, if you're writing TV, do you go to something that you love in TV? Do you go to another medium, vice versa? If you're, you know, writing a comic, do you go to like, you have a movie you go to, is there something that, that like supercharges you or do you just bounce around? Well, what is it that you go to for inspiration? That's a good question, dude. I think it's a little from column A, a little from column B. I think because at some points I'm doing a lot of different things at the same time. Like there was at one point a couple of months ago where I was like, writing my Spider-Man issue and like writing my episode of Rick and Morty and like writing like this horror movie and then like doing podcasts at like the same like three week period. So I like my brain was like about to explode. 
So like when I get to that point, like I like to just like one, just like get out in nature and, you know, touch grass is what the, the cool kids say, like getting outside and just like seeing the world around you. Cause like, I can't speak for you guys, but like when it comes from like storytelling, like a lot of it is just based off stuff that you see in life. And like it may be heightened to an extent because, you know, you know, a, a guy can't take his grandson and turn himself into a pickle in real life. But like, you know, that interaction is based off the idea of like someone who's willing to like go to extreme lengths, not to deal with culpability and like deal with like how he's affected his family. So like, I like just like meeting friends, like getting dinner, getting lunch, going for walks. But also when it comes to like inspirational stuff, like, you know, if I'm writing a story that's like, I'm sort of loosely basing around something like I'll watch whatever that influence is like, um, like for Siege Society, like not only did I go back and read Under Siege, but like, I also just like read some of like my favorite Squadron Supreme, the Marvel Max one. Like I love those interpretation of those characters so much. And like, like that's usually what I go to when it comes to, um, to like visual stuff and just like watching, like watching movies or whatever, because like they do invigorate me. Like they, like, I love these things. Um, and it's also, it's fun to like watch things and like have your brain sort of like be split between, all right, this is like the academic side where I'm breaking things down technically. Like, how is this shot? Like, where are they hiding this light? Like, what kind of framing are they doing? And like all the editing and then like the other side of me that's like, can be partitioned and be like, oh yeah, it's fun that the thing went boom when he punched the thing, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah. For listeners who may not know, you've produced some of the best podcasts oh, like, thank you. of recent years, period. Did you find that um, that, that was like a, a, a creatively inspiring pursuit for you? You know what I mean? Like being like, you know, involved in all these different things? 100%, man. So I, I got into podcast raising because I used to work at a place called UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, a big comedy theater. Uh, if you've seen anyone on any TV show or written anything or any commercial, like they probably went through that school. And like I produced podcasts there. Well, just my friends, like my whole thing was like, I was new to the place. So like all the people that came with me in my class were like, oh, you're funny. Like we should do stuff together. And like when I got into podcast producing, like bigger at a bigger place those are the first people i called for like meetings like my whole thing was like i'm gonna do a pilot for all my friends like if there's any person of color that wants to make a weird comedy thing let me know because the door is open and all i gotta do is hit record like it literally cost zero money to make a podcast pilot and like that's what i did like my first four months i think i made like 13 pilots for people um some of them went to series like scam goddess so it was my friend Lacey, like one of the first people i met at ucb she was just moved from new york i was like oh you're funny we should hang out it's like oh we're funny we should do stuff together and like we made a pilot and we got it made like my same thing for my buddy edgar Montplacier. um we made a, a really really weird talk show where it was like the daily show where he would have guest comedians on and like we trapped them in like woke questions like he would play like the wokest man <laughs> in the world like that was his character and, like that was like just super fun and, and easy to make and also like going back to like the collaborative effort like my whole thing is like you don't need to see my fingers in every single thing that i do like if i can just like get the person in front of the mic and let them do their thing like people will see how talented they are like you don't need to necessarily see me it's like that's sort of that's sort of what i've taken from yeah, you know, I guess there's that there's that uh, that Bruce Lee quote where it's like, you know, you fill a glass full of water and you toss it out and like the little drips of water that go down the bottom are the most important thing. And once it fills back up, you toss it out. So basically you're distilling down the key essences of things into like their most distilled form. And once they're done, you toss out the useless stuff. Like that's been my process when it comes to like any type of creative effort. Like, you know, I, I take like, you know, the collaboration of being like, you know, it, really all you need to make a successful podcast in my point of view, comedy wise, is like, let the host do their thing. Like you can get talented people, get people that actually give a crap about like what they're making and put them together like they'll make gold in any capacity that they can like that's what i've brought to like writing specifically with comic books is that like i don't need to get in the way of like my artist like i need to get in the way of my colorist like i need to get in the way of like you know whoever doing lettering like let like they're here because they obsessively 
like what they're doing and like they want to add their art to it and like add their personality to things and like that's how i see things as well and like and even with like you know writing and directing stuff like you know that's the biggest most heavy collaborative effort you can do like you're not the expert on set like you're surrounding yourself with other experts to make one singular vision so like i don't know anything about like costuming like but i'm going to find a head of costuming that knows what they're doing like i don't know anything about production design but like i trust this lady to be able to do the thing they want to do and together after a lot of blood sweat and tears on set will hopefully come to out something on the other end that something is good and like those are like those little droplets of water that come down to the bottom that i try to fill up my creative drink with i'm losing track of the metaphor now that i've said water so much but like that's the uh, that's that's um been like sort of the things that i've carried along when every type of different art that i do um whether it's podcasting or like tv writing or comedy or anything like that like it's always at the end of the day i'm never like Oof, i've learned it all i've cracked it <laughs> like like there's no more learning to grow like it's like the infinite rpg grind where like i'm constantly trying to build my character to level infinity and like i know that there's never going to be an end in sight you're a horrible collaborator <laughs> just just the worst yeah, that's the big note i get back um as we're we're getting close to wrapping up here other thoughts on this marvel zombies or even marvel zombies as a whole because this you know as we touched on at the top of the talk there's a bunch of stories that lead into it but there's so much that comes after this there's five numbered marvel zombies stories but we joked about Marvel Apes, but I think Marvel Apes does have a connection to this. We did like Zombies Christmas Carol. <laughs> We've done numerous zombie one-offs and zombie resurrections and all kinds of stuff. This one ends, and again, you know, this is the reading club. So if you haven't read this story yet, you've probably gotten some stuff spoiled for you, but it ends just with like the most nightmare scenario <laughs> of the zombies that are are still around getting the P- galactus's power cosmic and just being like let's go eat yeah, we're going on tour baby yeah, strap in it's, it's nuts it's so wild and so over the top and so much fun it's a great book like i i highly recommend that i highly recommend those like sequences of prequels like cuz that ultimate cuz i i think i read ultimate after I had read Kurtman's original run. So like all those like early stuff, like especially um, if you can track down the Evil Dead versus Army of Darkness versus Marvel Zombies, like that's just a weird run. And also one of my favorite things of like reading those side stories is like seeing like, oh, if you just looked around the corner, that would have been Ash just around the corner outside of like where the main stuff was happening. I always like stories like that. Those are really, really fun. Yeah. You know, here's a here's a pretty specific question that I've never asked before, but it's something I'm actually very passionate about. Talking about the endings of things, quotes, in quotes, endings. Do you have a favorite ending of like any story? Oh, wow. Because I have like some big opinions on that. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, what comes to mind? Oh, boy, that's such a good question. <sighs> I, I mean, I, I mean, this is because I read Ultimate Marvel Spider-Man from basically beginning to end, like the actual true death of Peter Parker was like such a gut punch because you've been with that character for years and years and years. And like, like you see him grow up with like all the characters, like you see him interact with like Captain America and like all these characters that like really hit for you the first time. And like, just seeing like how crushed his like aunt May and everyone's around him was like such a gut punch. And then you get like that one panel of like, you know, 
of like a kid in the mask and he pulls it off and you see it smiles. You're like, maybe this is, I think he said his line was like, maybe this is in poor taste or something like that. It's like, you see that there's going to be like another seed, but like, that was like such a perfect ending because like I'd been with that character for years and like, I got really choked up when like he died and like seeing that there was going to be someone to, to like sort of fill his shoes, but also have to go through that same journey, but from a different perspective, really, really got me. Like it was one of my favorite endings, like salute to like Bendis and for, for putting that together for all those years. Like it was fantastic. 10, 10, no notes. <laughs> and that that issue had some great covers those last moments peter being just like i got did it like when he's like did i stop him did i save them I, I can't remember the exact language but just the the way it's drawn <sighs> oh yeah one last thing i wanted to touch on marvel zombies the arthur soydum covers i think so fantastic you had mentioned that at the top cody of one of the covers really like grabbing you these are zombified sort of homages to classic Marvel covers. And they're just so gross. They're so perfect. They're so rad. Like my favorite three are like the human torch, like melting through the wall, the classic Wolverine with his uh, with claws out. And then like the classic X-Men, like fighting Magneto, like like Iceman throwing an ice skull <laughs> at his force field. Like they're so rad. They're so, so cool. That may be as much as anything else is the, I don't know how, they did this, the powers that be at Marvel Entertainment <laughs> who, who, who are responsible for saying, yes, you're allowed to do this with our characters or no, you're not. Like that is still to this day. It's like that. And then like, maybe sometimes like Morbius covers where yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. wow, they, they said okay to this. That's actually <laughs> shocking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <sighs> this was a good time, y'all. Thanks for having me. This is a blast, y'all. Yeah. You are welcome back. At some other point, maybe we'll do a mile story. Oh, please. I would, it would be my genuine honor. Please let me come back. I'm, I'll beg you, let me come back. <laughs> or something She-Hulk. Yeah, let's do it. This basically, like, I like when things become part of the zeitgeist. Like, I like that people know who WandaVision is. Like, I like the fact that, like, my 65-year-old mom knows what the Infinity Gauntlet is. Like, I just like that that's going to be in the cultural zeitgeist. It's going to be, oh, yeah, there's uh, Jen Walter. She's a lawyer. Yeah, like, I just love all that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Cody, thank you so much. And uh, we will be talking about you and talking to you plenty more in the uh, in the months to come. You're here. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you once more to Cody Ziegler for joining us for that chat. One, I'm very excited that we get to have this conversation with him so early on in his Marvel career because I really think this is going to be one of those where we look back and be like, wow, remember when he was just getting his start when things were just beginning? Because... What an auspicious start it is for him from his work on Miles through to obviously going straight to the top with the incredible people working on Amazing Spider-Man right now. I think there will be many, 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 many great things to come from him in the future in the Marvel Universe. So thanks once more to Cody. Yeah, that was a great one. All right, that wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jasmine Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager, and he fears everything. That boy is just a ball of fear. He wouldn't do well with, with Man-Thing. No, he would be en fuego. Brad, don't go to Florida. Yeah, don't go to Florida. <laughs> go just... Digging around in the swamps, finding yeah. the nexus of all realities, yeah. and and hanging out with uh, Ted Salas. Please do not do that. <laughs> we beg of you. you do, do not do that, Brad. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.